Once again at The Exchange, presented by All Own Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey. I'm Mike Ferguson. This is episode 8, and because we just can't help ourselves, it is again the first of two episodes on one topic, green coffee terminology. Our hosts are spinning the green coffee lingo wheel, just like the Wheel of Fortune, and they're sharing their thoughts not only on the definitions, but what they mean to coffee roasters. And now, here they are, Mark and Todd. Hi, and welcome again to The Exchange, the coffee podcast presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. I'm Mark Inman, and with me always is Todd Mackey. Todd, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mark. Hey, uh, happy to be here. It's uh, a fun episode ahead. I've been looking forward to this one on our calendar. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess we should start with our our proverbial opening segment here, and uh, and I can pose Mm -hmm. a question to you first. Sure. What's, What's in your cup? What's in your glass? Well, like the last time we recorded, uh, we are doing this in the evening versus the morning hours that we had been recording. And so I tend to do a little bit of an adult beverage at the nighttime. And tonight is a a, a wine from a very good friend of mine, uh, Mike Lucia, who has Root Down Cellars here in Healdsburg. And this is his new release, his 2017 Movedre Dry Bone Ranch, which is amazing I guess the, the best equivalent to this is a very good Sumatra. It's very earthy. It has that forest floor character. Um, it just has a little bit more, more fruit character than a normal uh, Sumatra. But it's your very heavy-bodied, savory, with good tannin structure. So it's, it's a fantastic evening wine. How about Very you? Cool. Yeah, no, I, it's funny you kind of pose this as uh, an adult beverage. I'm drinking, uh, or I'm I'm about to open what is a truly adult beverage, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going with uh, what is a fourth generation family company here. You know, seltzer, you know, flavored sparkling water is all the mm-hmm. rage, right? Uh, and I, like most, am a fan and I'm on board. But I always go back to what is a local company to us out here in Providence. In nearby Worcester, Massachusetts, we have the Polar Company, mm-hmm. um, and they make uh, all natural seltzers. I'm going to be drinking cranberry lime specifically, um, but the company was founded in 1882. Uh, it's the the largest independent, uh, you know, canning soft drink company wow. uh, in the country. And um, yeah, great products. Really interesting was a whiskey uh, distiller up until Prohibition. And then launched uh, still some of their namesake uh, soda products, the the Dry series, quote unquote, mm-hmm. still out there today. Really interesting. But again, cranberry lime, polar seltzer, hundred percent natural. It's delicious. I'm gonna uh, open that for myself. <laughs> wow, a little sound effect. We're going into ASMR recordings now. <laughs> Real good. But yeah, if you want to give uh, an introduction on how uh, we're getting into our episode tonight, that'd be awesome. Spinning the wheel, right? Spinning the wheel. How did we come up with this idea? Was this something brought up by our producer or was this something that you came up with? Where did this wheel... Uh, No, this is is 100% Mike Ferguson. Oh, okay. 
okay. uh, our acclaimed producer at this stage, Mr. Mike Ferguson. I can't take a, a bit of the credit. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. So tonight, I mean, I mean one of the, the issues that many people have in the industry, especially as you're up and coming, is that you hear a myriad of terms being thrown around. And uh, if you're a normal person, uh, that can be intimidating to ask, well, what does that actually mean? And usually you try to pick up what that means through conversation or if you overhear somebody explain it. But most people are too embarrassed just to flat out ask what these terms mean. And, and trust me, there's plenty of, of industry-specific terms that would not make sense to anybody outside the industry or new to the industry uh, unless you've really studied up on this stuff. So well, you know, one of the, the favorite parts, I believe, Todd, of both what you and I do is actually – you know, answering those questions for customers or people at trade shows and and um, and trying to take that stigma away. So tonight we thought we'd make it a fun game where we would spin the wheel and take turns uh, explaining what these terms mean and and see if one of us gets stumped tonight. I don't know. Is that that could be possible? Yeah, I, I haven't even taken a look at the wheel to be honest. I was I hoping that either, we might. So this, uh, this could be bad. This will be fun. Yeah, no, we'll have a good time. <laughs> All right, so I, I suppose we should just uh, spin the wheel and see what yeah. we get, and we'll start there. Is there an interesting sound effect that goes along with this wheel spin, or is it just going to spin? Let's see what happens. And and oh. there it goes. It's making a little noise. <laughs> it landed in between two. Oh, oh I see what it does. F O B. F O B. Todd, I'll happily take this one. So it's not F-O-B. a key fob. Yeah, no, no. Though you could spin it that way. We could yeah. be talking about our entry into like a more secure office space, what have you. Right. No, right. but in this case, we're talking free on board. So this is uh, um, what I believe would be tossed around in in logistics speak as an inco term, but it it, it it's intended to depict uh, a term um, or place, for example, where. Uh, liability, ownership, risk, responsibility are transferred. So in any given uh, contract that that we might write, either for the purchase of coffee or the sale of coffee, there's going to be this term. It's not always going to be FOB, uh, but we would use this term when we're buying coffee from a country of origin, um, and we would be using it where you know we, the buyer, uh, would take over the ownership and the liability and responsibility for the coffee as it's passing over the rail of the ship mm-hmm. uh, to make its departure from port. You know, this is a term that shouldn't be unknown to the roaster buyer. Uh, no. Because especially in the days of, you know, more direct trade purchasing, um, you know, wanting to have greater transparency, uh, you know, if, if you're interested in, you know, how a cost breakdown might work across the value chain, this is going to be one of the sort of architectural points that separates a, a segment, if you will. Um, but yeah, to you, Mark, thoughts on FOB, necessary details that anybody listening should uh, have in their pocket when they see this pop up. Uh, yeah, I, I said the, 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 in addition to what you mentioned there, and, and you started to dance upon for the direct trade side of the business. If you're going to be involved in direct trade, it's important to know when a price is quoted to you as a roaster where that price is being quoted from. So uh, some caveats, if you were quoted FOB, um, that is passage to the ship, and then from there the costing would be you know, transit into 
this, the U.S. if that's where you're based uh, into the warehouse and either it goes into an X warehouse pricing or an FOT free on truck pricing. But the trick is here, I would say this is where I wanted to add to the FOB. Many times in countries like Burundi or Nicaragua, they're actually quoting you FOT mill, not FOT the warehouse in the United States. And to that would mean the coffee is being transferred from their, to the truck in their mill in that country. And in the case of Burundi, that can add a significant amount of cost to get it from that mill all the way to port to the free onboard status. So there can be a, a pretty good additional cost associated with direct trade if they're quoting you FOT mill. So don't always assume when you're getting price quotes from growers or from co-ops or exporters that it's necessarily going to be FOB, even though that many times is the term that is used. Um, there are countries that do sell FOT mill. Yeah, I mean, in in addition to the cost, which is really uh, you know an, an obvious one, the added time spend if you True. find yourself being offered FOT mill, um, if it's not the customary uh, you know sort of uh, place that coffee would be sold, i.e., Burundi or uh, in or the Uganda, Nicaragua, landlocked countries. Example. Yeah, you know, you have a, a significant um, time. Uh, sort of uh, allocation that needs to be considered, you know, in addition to the strength of whatever partnerships you might have in that country to be able to pull that coffee out. So certainly uh, no small detail uh, involved. But um, last call on FOB, any last gems we should pass along? No, we tend to wrap it up there with that one. All right, let's spin it again. Pretty dramatic. Yes. Strip. I'll let you okay. take this one, Mark. Okay. Strip is a term uh, or stripping is used as a term uh, when coffee is taken from a ship as it arrives into port uh, and then uh, stocked into a warehouse. So if it's taken from port in Oakland, it is stripped in. That is the paperwork's done. The coffee's unloaded, stocked in to a warehouse uh, where you would then start to release from. Yeah, important to note with this is that there's actually a few steps ahead of the coffee stripping into the warehouse that take time, right? So if we land the coffee in the port of New Jersey, for example, we still have to clear customs, and then there's going to be uh, drayage, which is going to be the movement of the coffee from that, that position physically to the warehouse, at which time the coffee could then be stripped in, physically put in the warehouse. Right. Separated into, you know, sub lots, you know, more often than not in, in our side of the business. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, given the, the necessary codes and cargo numbers where we can start sampling and uh, and releasing the coffee. So, yeah. And this can take time. A lot of people when they are if they're doing direct trade, for example, and they're asking you, when does this coffee land? Uh, it may land, let's say today's uh, what, September the 4th. Uh, it, it, it the ship pulls in September the 4th, but by the time it strips in, it can be September the 14th. And if it gets an FDA hold for some reason, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why coffee would be put into an FDA hold for search, uh, it could take even longer. So don't assume that the ETA landing of the ship necessarily means that, it, in fact, you could count on it. It does not mean it's the ETA of when you can 
release this coffee and pick it up. Absolutely. Well, let's spin the wheel again. All right. Your favorite and mine, Buying Forward. Yes. Um, yeah. So this is a, a critical uh, term, a critical concept that, you know, as you're growing as a roaster, you absolutely have to know, even if it's not uh, maybe an opportunity or a, an option you might um, express at any given point. So Buying Forward is essentially securing physical inventory uh at some point in the future. So in a, a time where there is a, a particular coffee that's on offer that, um, you know, maybe you've been dealing with this, this producer, this farm, a particular uh, cooperative or mill, um, and buying forward might allow you to, you know, have a, uh, a future a holding or delivery of this coffee. It also would allow you in, in a market where, you know, quality and price is a match for you. Um, it would allow you to essentially buy that coffee into the future uh, to secure your cost of goods and, and, you know, sure up your margins as it relates to selling your coffee out forward to your customer. Yeah. And this is one of the greatest tools in the tool shed of the buyer. If you, uh, work well with an importer and you trust uh, the relationship buying forward is a way to secure coffees uh, that are uh, in short supply in high demand, high quality. Um, it allows you to, if you have a good relationship, get your foot in the door very early on some very good coffees. Again, you're not obligated for these coffees. You still have to cup them and approve them upon arrival, but it's a fantastic way to get coffees, uh, especially ones that people get really excited about way in advance. Yeah. I feel like we need a more dramatic name for the wheel. The yeah, I don't... Green coffee lingo wheels. It's a little safe. Uh, position is the next term. <laughs> so position, Mark, go ahead. I'll let you take this one. Position is basically... Uh, what you own in coffee at any given time. This would be a, an accumulation of your forward contracts, stuff you have sitting that you have not yet released, or uh, stuff that you have had sitting around that you have taken time to pick up. So it is your entire ownership position within that company. Uh, usually within your position report, it would show you uh, when the dates of the the free period is, where you're not charged carry and uh, finance and storage charges, or ETAs on when the coffee should land, uh, information on what you paid for the coffee, what the market level was. Yeah, this is one of those terms that uh, that is coming out of you know a more sort of uh, cross product or cross uh, business trade jargon, right? Um, where, you know, this would most uh, typically be a, applied to, you know, the physical position like you're outlining that a, a roaster might have. But, you know, as you grow and, and you start uh, having a, a, a sort of futures position or futures coverage, um, you know, you might actually have your physical position, which would be the inventory you stand to take or that you've committed to to buying, um, perhaps subject to sample, replace, uh, SASNANs, what have you. Uh, but you might also, at certain volumes, start to have a futures position, which would be essentially your market levels out ahead that you kind of have in your pocket to apply uh, later to 
the differentials uh, that you have, um, you know, your green coffee, your physical position against. So essentially looking at uh, your standing at any given time. Uh, and so one of the most valuable things I feel like I hear from the people I'm working with is, hey, can you send me my position? You know, that is just a breath of fresh air. It's something that any buyer, uh, no matter how small, if, if the moment you start buying forward or keeping holdings with, you know, any of your suppliers, that should be something that you're checking in on at the minimum once a month. Without a doubt, because what ends up happening a lot of the times, roasters will say, wow, I didn't know I had this coffee sitting there forever. And then they sheepishly want to try to not have that coffee anymore. But whether or not you've realized it or not, it's coffee you own. So it's, uh, yes, it's important to ask for your position on a regular basis to see exactly uh, what you own with what importer. And I think, you know, the, the reality is in, you know, on our side of things, the more we know that a customer is, you know, self-managing, watching their position, uh, you know, thinking about how they're, you know, drawing uh, their stocks, um, the, the more competitive we can be because, you know, it's more collaborative in that regard. There's less maintenance, um, you know, when it comes time to quoting out, you know, spreads and, and offers, it's a, it's a much um, sort of easier account in that regard, and, and that can come back to you, which is great. So, Dio. All right. Dio. Let me... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Dio is, is short for delivery order. It's uh, when you want to have copy released. A delivery order is generated, which then goes to the warehouse who prepares your coffee for release, whether or not we're releasing to a trucking company that we're going to ship to you, or you're coming to pick up at the warehouse on your own in your own truck. Yeah, delivery order is, is one of those hardworking, you know, underappreciated terms in the coffee business. Um, but, you know, if you're a, a small roaster retailer, the best thing to relate this to is like, you know, if you have a complex point of sale that'll spit like a drink order over by uh, the espresso machine, you know, when it goes in the, the front like point of sale, um, this is essentially the function of the DO, you know, that ticket that pops up. It's not the it's not the charge. It's not the receipt, but it's that thing that's generated that actually gets the work moving um, on getting a coffee out. I got to say, Mark, there is one term floating around on this green coffee lingo wheel that I'm worried comes up. So I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope it doesn't. Nans. I, this gets back to, you know, all the way back to our first episode, those glory days. Um, we, we talked about it a lot, but this is uh, no approval, no sale. And uh, this is going to be firmly fixed, you know, in the sampling terms on any given coffee contract, if you've agreed with your supplier to pend the sort of uh, function of the contract on sample approval, if you are not going to replace it, uh, if it's rejected. So this this essentially gives the buyer the option to reject the coffee with zero obligation if it does not uh, hold um, essentially the character and quality as expressed by someone in Mark's position or my own. Yes. And as we said in the, uh, was it the first episode we talked about this or the second episode? 
I, well, one and two were a twofer. So. One and two, yeah. yeah. So they, the, the Nans part uh, works if you don't abuse uh, the system. You can't reject a coffee because you're not feeling it or it didn't speak to you. <laughs> Those aren't terms to reject. Uh, we understand what you mean when you say that. But you have to have a real technical term. The coffee came in moldy. It did not. It had a, a defect. Uh, it, uh, you know, phenol or or, or um, you know, or it was uh, legitimately maybe. three points off, like what True. it was sold as, right? True. But, we but sold that, it to you as an eighty-five even, cup, and it came in an eighty-two. Exactly. But that's even more yes. delicate, right? It's more like cool. We, you know, to offer on that sort of thing and then to accept that as a rejection is, is sort of a special right. case. I mean, it requires a lot. And, of and again, uh, the, the death knell of, uh, the ability to use the NANS, uh, benefit is saying, I need it is saying in your mind, I need five bags of Kenya for the year. And you book 25 bags of five lots, five each, five bags each, when they come in, you reject four of them and keep the best one. That trick, uh, everybody knows that trick, and you will get away with it just once in your career, and that will be it. Better hope that Kenya that you do take. Yeah, it's good. that good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give it to us, green coffee lingo wheel. I want to find out what your term is that you're afraid of. I'm going to stick you with that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm really Was it Grain Pro? Grain Pro. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to hear from you on this. This is, uh, you know, a ubiquitous uh, green coffee term yes. now, but um, how does Mark Inman explain <laughs> Grain Pro, uh, well, Grain Pro is an actual brand. It's like Ziploc uh, as a brand. Uh, it is a an actual uh, polypropylene liner uh, that would go inside a uh, a coffee jute sack, and they would pack the coffee uh, in the Grain Pro liner, they can seal it, uh, but it's a, a plastic barrier that keeps the coffee fresher longer as it makes its long journey uh, to uh, to the point of uh, of your warehouse. And in the cases of you know long trips, Indonesia, Africa, uh, Papua New Guinea to the United States, it's well worth the investment of adding Grain Pro liners uh, to your coffee because coffee definitely starts to degrade on those long journeys. It also is great for eliminating water damage where the jute can get water damage from a hole in the container or moisture in the container. It can, you know, leave giant stains and, and signs of water damage on the jute, but the coffee is dry and safe inside the Grain Pro liner. The key to the Grain Pro liner is that the coffee is dried to the proper humidity. You can create a fantastic... Um, condition and environment to develop mold at an extremely rapid rate. So it, it's essential that mills who use Grain Pro or uh, Ecotact is another brand of liner. If they use these liners that they understand how to dry coffee properly and and ship it as such. The, the additional cost per pound over a normal uh, jute bag is roughly three to five cents. Uh, but in the case, like I said, of some of these better coffees coming from faraway places, it's well worth the additional investment. Yeah, compared to the the differentials that you're going to pay for that increased cup quality and better prep, I mean, three to five cents is is almost yes. forgettable in so many ways. So that's Grain Pro. That was not the one okay. I was worried about, by the way. 
spot. I love this. Uh, spot uh, would essentially indicate coffee available here. Uh, and most typically, spot coffee would indicate, um, you know, that, that coffee, uh, at least, you know, in the U.S. or in a, in a conventionally consuming market, spot would mean this coffee has arrived and it's on the shelf here. Think of it like you go to the grocery store, there are exactly... 25 boxes of Annie's white cheddar mac and cheese available spot. Don't know why my mind's <laughs> yeah. going there. Versus Captain Crunch or... But a, um, a good, yeah, a okay. good example. Let's very just, politically it's a correct here. I have, Annie's. Young, I have young children, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's a staple in the household. But anyway, so spot, the, the difference in the only sort of detail that I would mention is that spot can indicate that a coffee's available in a warehouse right. anywhere. So if someone is offering you a coffee spot uh, and it's not like the regular supplier you go to all the time, just be cautious, you know, kind of similar to what Mark was mentioning with FOT when you're getting offers from Origin. You can be offered spot, uh, you know, Santos or, you know, something like that, something where the coffee's done, ready, uh, it's in warehouse and it's spot there. Um any elaboration there, Mark, in your experience or anecdotal uh, stories? No, anecdotal stories. But if you are buying Coffee Spot, you want to ensure that it's spot uh, a warehouse near you. Uh, if Many importers store coffee in multiple warehouses. So if you're based in Colorado, spot coffee in New Jersey isn't as good of a deal as spot coffee in Oakland, California, or Houston, Texas. The GCA. That's the Green Coffee Association. And that is the underlying arbiter, the judge and jury who sets the rules of coffee contracting. And if you were to ever have a dispute that was beyond the uh, negotiations between yourself and the importer or yourself and the grower or yourself and the uh, exporter, you can go to the GCA and go to what they call arbitration. And just like going to court, raise your concerns, have them make a decision, a judgment that would have to be followed uh, from that point forward. Now, if you were to go that road, and, and, and this does happen, and it happens more often than you can think. If you were to defy the GCA and not honor uh, the judgments, it can actually... Uh, do irreparable harm to your company to do business in the coffee industry within the United States. But the GCA contract is the basis for the contracts that, that we write. Whether Even if you're buying Coffee Spot, you're buying it in an online platform, the basis for how that coffee is bought and sold is using the GCA contract. It defines the terms for storage and finance. It defines the terms for reways the terms for you know reweighing coffee if it's older coffee things like finance charges um, movement costs anything like that is covered under the gca it's well worth it to take a class on green coffee contracting that the gca puts on or at least get their the the extended version of the contract when you're handed a contract it's a one-page document but it is based and it references a much larger document uh, that outlines the details of each 
term. It would it's similar to buying a house in the amount of pages involved uh, in selling coffee, even if it's one bag. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the GCA contract document, the PDF, is uh, just about 130 yeah. pages long. Um, and you can even as a non-member, um, you know, because most you know, small specialty roasters probably aren't, you know, dues paying members of the GCA, the actual association. Um, but, you know, you can download that document without, you know, without charge. You can, uh, you know, search Green Coffee Association standard Arabica, uh, Arabica contract um, and you can, you know, download this, uh, throw it on, you know, your your e-reader iPad and, uh, you know, your next international flight, uh, you know, just give that thing uh, a whack, you know? Um, but yeah, I think uh, it's, it's crucial. It gives you all that terminology and it's really important what you're outlining that you're essentially by signing that document, if there were a non-negotiable dispute between you and your counterparty, you're essentially submitting yourself to this arbitration yes. panel um, that the G GCA, excuse me, would, would organize and, and essentially hand down a, a result that you'd then be obligated to uh to follow you've been listening to the exchange presented by Olam specialty coffee hosted by mark inman and todd Mackey, directed by mike ferguson our opening theme was coffee by sean t wright our closing theme more appropriate than usual coffee talk by anatech all music is used under creative commons if you would like to see the Green Coffee Lingo Wheel for yourself, visit blog.olamspecialtycoffee.com forward slash spin. We'll be back in two weeks when Mark and Todd will spin the wheel again and define another nine terms. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. The Exchange at olamnet.com.